Good evening, Los Angeles. Welcome back to another episode of the Apologetics.com radio show. My name is Jason Gallagher, and this is the Apologetics.com radio show where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. And we have been here on KKLA for about 20 years now, Fridays at midnight, and we are a live call-in show, and we would love to chat with you about anything Related to the Bible, apologetics, defending the Christian faith, you can call us at 888-995-KKLA. That's 888-995-5552. And tonight we're going to be unpacking the idea of whitewashing Christianity as we continue our series as we go through the Urban Apologetics book, which was written by Dr. Eric Mason Um, So my name is Jason Gallagher. I host this show once a month. It is sponsored by my home church, Branch of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church. We are in Torrance, California. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m., and we would love for you to come join us for a Sunday worship service. Uh, Come get to know us and stay around because after every service we have a live question and answer with our pastor, Paul Vigiano where you can basically ask any question you might be interested in about the Christian faith. And we have been long supporters of Apologetics.com and have had hosts coming through this show on a regular basis for the past 15 or so years. And so I am just one of those uh, people, unnamed. You know, this is not about any particular personality. We are simply here to proclaim the good news, the gospel of Christ, and to help move away those roadblocks that might be in the way of faith for the unbeliever, right? So we just want to glorify God and advance his kingdom. And I am in studio tonight with my dear friend, my grand compadre, Daniel Adrian. How you doing, man? Thank you. I don't deserve such a title. (laughs) You are the man. And uh, thanks for being here. He's a regular contributor. He is kind of like a Bible encyclopedia you know, he's the closest thing I, I'll ever know to a, a Puritan, you know, reincarnated, <laughs> you know, coming back. Um, but he's just a, a blessing, and uh, he will share his knowledge with us tonight, and you will see, um, you know, what a blessing he is to the church and to this endeavor of, you know, challenging believers to think and thinkers to believe. So about a month ago or two, Daniel and I were on here. We we touched on chapter one of this book, Urban Apologetics by Eric Mason. It's really looking at how to reach kind of the colored community, black, brown. And if you remember our first show, there is basically a group of what they call racial identity cults. And what they have done is they have kind of exploited the historic um, – oppression of the black community, whether it's this historic pattern, you know, slavery and kind of the whole, all of the mindset that goes along with that and this idea of racism. And so these racial identity cults have popped up and tried to speak to that issue, that true area of pain and hurt and generational kind of um, impact and they've brought in some false teachings and they've actually led these people into these cults such as the you know the black hebrew israelites or the nation of islam or cometicism and we touched on chapter 1 of this book last week and we believe it's an important book it's actually a very well written book everything in it for the most part 
is very applicable, very relevant to today's culture. And just like if you were going to meet with a Mormon and you wanted to reach a Mormon with the gospel, you know, part of that task is understanding a little bit of where they're coming from, what their background is, what their understanding of the scriptures are, and being able to bring that into a gospel-centered context so you could reach them. And so the same is true for the black minority, brown communities, colored communities, because there is a context there. And this book helps kind of bring some of that context to light so that we as Christians can be better at reaching them with the gospel. And seeing these areas that have been exploited, we can bring in understanding through the lens of scripture and speak to them in a in a way that's true and will lead them to the truth, you know, the one true God, which is our goal. And so chapter two is called All White Everything. Uh, it was written by Jerome Gay. So this book, Urban Apologetics, edited by Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Epiphany Fellowship Church, is really a compilation of 12-plus uh, authors, each kind of taking on a different topic in different chapters. And chapter two is All White Everything, and it has to do with this idea of whitewashing Christianity. And so I'll just throw out the number again. If you guys are interested and you want to just chime in on this topic, whitewashing Christianity, you know, this idea that things have been painted with broad strokes to kind of um, get rid of any color that might be in church history or even in the scriptures. You know, do you believe that Jesus was a white man with 12 white disciples? You know, that's a good question just to consider and ponder. Um, do you believe that? You know, do you see this picture of the Last Supper? Um, Jesus sitting around a table, a bunch of white guys. Is that accurate? Has has that is that a true picture? Um, and there's some there's some important things that we should be considering as Christians, and some of them relate to bearing false witness. Are we telling the truth or are we telling a lie? Right. Other other issues that come into play here are the second commandment, um, which tells us not to make any graven images. Right. We should make no images of God whatsoever. And so is any image of Christ wrong? You know, should we be constructing any sort of image whatsoever, black, white, brown, and anything in between? You know, we're going to unpack a lot of those things tonight because those are foundational issues to kind of understanding and addressing this issue of whitewashing Christianity. So, um, Daniel, is there anything you want to kind of jump in with just kind of introduction level um, as we as we dig into this topic a bit? Probably what binds persons of color together, you know, uh, POC, POC communities, I know that's been a buzzword, is their experience of whiteness in this country. So there is a way to kind of put them all together. But we don't this, – this, this show, because of the book, will focus primarily on – uh, what this means, urban apologetics towards the black community, because the subtitle of the book is uh, Restoring Black Dign Dignity with the Gospel, I believe. So I think it's good for us to remember that the only source of dignity for any group, black, white, any group that you think of as existing or any group that has meaning to you, 
the only hope for dignity for any group and any individual, indeed, is the gospel. And so the whole point of you mentioned a very key word, which is uh, contextual or con- context, contextualizing. And one of the works that we need to do as a church and that we need to do in our apologetic endeavors, and when I say as a church, I don't just mean branch, I mean the Christian universal church, mm-hmm. is we need to, in this case, decontextualize this uh, whitewashing and then recontextualize what we're talking about along biblical lines. So you've already kind of sketched out sort of the project that we're on in doing that. So if it sounds like we're only addressing the black community, it's not. It's just that that's the lens through which the book was written. Right. Yeah, it's not the case that that's what we're doing. But also um, it's important to, you know, acknowledge that what we're looking for is – repentance from any sinful parties, right? So the author of this chapter, I believe he's a doctor. I believe he has his PhD. But the Reverend Gay, he has a good way of kind of making sure that people know this is this chapter is not about white bashing and his work in this area is not about white bashing, but nor is it about black washing or anything washing, right? Because the whole point is that would be an untruthful false representation you you can't you know you can't make christianity chinese you can't make it any certain thing because the source of course of true biblical religion is god and god is not a man and so he can't have a race right he can't have an ethnicity he can't have these group identities that some of us uh seem to be so obsessed with in this country recently and some are rightfully uh concerned that their group identities have not been properly acknowledged by the church in particular instances and even very lamentably unto this day. Yeah, so thank you for that, Daniel. Very good. Uh, Some background foundational information. So I wanted to start off by looking at, I would say, the second commandment. I think the second commandment is a foundational kind of thing to have in view here when we're talking about this idea of whitewashing or whitewashed uh, Christianity. And so I'll just go ahead and read it to you. Uh, from Exodus 20, uh, the second commandment. So this is from the Shorter Catechism from the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is the second commandment. The second commandment is, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. And so what is required in the second commandment? So The second commandment requireth the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God hath appointed in his word. So worshiping God according to the way that he has prescribed, What is forbidden in the second commandment? And so the second commandment forbiddeth the worshiping of God by images or any other way not appointed in his word. And uh, the larger catechism kind of goes on and expands on that. And it says that we should not make any representation of God of all or any of the three persons, either inwardly in our mind or outwardly in any kind of image or likeness of any creature whatsoever. All worshiping of it 
or God in it or by it, the making of any representation of feigned deities and all worship of them or service belonging to them, all superstitious devices, corrupting the worship of God, adding to it or taking from it, whether invented and taken up of ourselves or received by tradition from others, though under the title of antiquity, custom, devotion, good intent, or any other pretense whatsoever, simony, sacrilege, all neglect, contempt, hindering, and opposing the worship and ordinances which God hath appointed. So basically, in a nutshell, um, we are not to make any images of God whatsoever. So this idea of a white Jesus or a black Jesus or any other color in between of Jesus, we want to just say, first off, from the outset, should never have happened in the first place. It is a sin, we believe, you know, to make any image of Christ, any member of the Godhead, whether Father, Son, or Holy Ghost. And, you know, we've seen that corrupted and popularized mostly in the form of uh, the second person of the Trinity, you know, the Son of God, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Daniel, do you have anything to add in terms of, you know, images and how people should kind of be approaching this idea, you know, fundamentally? Yeah, I think it's important if we just jump back really quick uh, for the audience to the duties required in the Second Commandments, uh, as also the disapproving, detesting, opposing all false worship, and this is what it ends with, and according to each one's place and calling, removing it and all monuments of idolatry. So there's a very – there are multiple very clear passages in the Bible that teach that idols and monuments of idolatry are to be removed. Uh, but I think it's important for us uh, for for us to remember that if you have a false idol in place, if you have a monument of idolatry in place, then you're necessarily going to engage in false worship, right? Because you've already – you are doing that by making an idol and by actually bowing down before it. And so you're I'm, – I'm reiterating and hopefully strengthening the idea that this should have never happened. And, you know, Second Corinthians 6, 3, Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, talks about essentially removing all stumbling fo- blocks, excuse me, any causes of offense. And so these would be very clear causes of offense. So what we're getting at is the necessity of this work of of removing whitewashing. And again, we'll say, not because we're equivocating, but if this were historical instances of any other kind of washing that were false, that were a misrepresentation, we would need to get rid of those. We would need to remove those monuments of idolatry. And you read a very interesting portion when it talks about tradition, right? So whitewashing is a received tradition from others, not from the Bible. And it is under the title of antiquity, custom, devotion, some would say good intents. It's kind of a hard argument to make, but some would. Or any other pretense whatsoever. So we have this tradition, in this case, a non-biblical and very evil and wicked, vile tradition, which all unbiblical traditions are, by the way. But again, we have this tradition wherein we've taken all of the non-so-called white characteristics out of the Bible, which is interesting because you'd be hard-pressed to find much Europeanness in the Bible. But you take all that out or, or you, you replace all the, the, the non-white influence, non-European influence with that and you have this problem wherein uh, you've completely mangled the text of Scripture and then you're going to build practices, cultural forms, art, so on and so forth on this false 
thing. So it's not to overstate it, but you can see how the church goes in a completely wrong direction, and it endures for much longer than any of us would ever want. And the damage of that, the ripple effects of those damages are happening, and people are literally still experiencing this. There are historical black churches that have white Jesus images in them, which to me is right. it, yeah, very interesting uh, yeah, <laughs> to use that <laughs> euphemistically. But now we don't want any images, and that was your point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's clear from the commandments. Deuteronomy particularly is instructive here. Leviticus has a passage, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. You know, Jesus is very clear on the traditions of men and teaching them as doctrines of God. You know, in vain do you worship me if you do these things. Mm-hmm. We must remove these things from us and from our midst, not only if we want to be blessed ourselves, but particularly if we seek to be a blessing to these victimized communities. And I, I don't use that lightly. I mean, I think this is a way of traumatizing a whole a whole succession of generations of people. Right. Yeah, I think just on a practical level, I mean, if you – if someone was trying to – if you're not a say you're not a believer and someone's coming to you and trying to witness to you and you know tell you to come come to Christ come to God you know be reconciled to God and then they they hold up you know this picture of this God that they want you to come to and this picture is let's just say he doesn't look anything like you right we as human beings we tend to be more comfortable around those who look like us, talk like us, walk like us, so on and so forth, right? They dress like us, which is why I think a lot of times you you see, you know, communities kind of form around, you know, cultural similarities, right? And it's kind of just a human thing, you know? I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. You know what I mean? You have pockets all throughout Los Angeles, obviously, that are known for this is a large population of this particular ethnicity you know this is a large korean area of los angeles or a large vietnamese area of los angeles or chinese or whatever it might be and that's because people tend to gravitate and be comfortable around those who look like them and walk like them and talk like them now if that if that god who people are calling you to come to looks nothing like you that just on a human level makes a difference, right? And I think this is part of the wisdom of God in telling us, don't make any images of me, right? Because it's just going to be a stumbling block, right? And this is what it's been. This book that we've read clearly makes this case that a white Jesus, which we can't say is true or false historically, but I think you can... You can argue for you know Jesus being probably darker skinned, um, but again, we don't want to go there really. Um, when when you have a God that looks like that, and this, like I said, this book argues that that is a stumbling block for a lot of the black colored community, and we don't want that, right? We don't want to put anything in front of a person that's going to hinder them from being reconciled to God. Right, that is our our call as Christians to be ambassadors of Christ, imploring people to be reconciled to God, right? That they might come to Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, right? And First uh, John chapter four 
I think is a is another good foundational verse for us to kind of try to understand and keep in view here. Verse 20 and 21, 1 John chapter 4, read this. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. And part of what I believe is in view here is this idea if you you hate your brother simply because of the way he looks, right? Your brother whom you have seen, how can you say that you you love God whom you have not seen because you know, I think the logic here would say, well, what if God looks like that person? Right? Think of a person who you see, you don't like their shape, their size, their color, whatever it might be about them. And for for appearance only, you don't love them. You kind of have this negative view towards them. Well, how do you know that God, the second person of the Trinity, didn't maybe have that look or that trait? Because if you haven't seen God, you, you're in danger there of, you know, if you, if you don't love someone because of the way they look, how can you claim to love God who well, might look like that? And even beyond connecting it to the appearance of the invisible God, we can simply say, yeah. however that person looks, God made them that way. Amen. Now, when it, it gets a little more difficult when it comes to things that would be considered uh, what comorbidities, morbidities, things that would be considered tokens of ill health. But that's what's so sinister and malicious about this whole project of dehumanizing people from the color of the, their skin was it was to make us, make us, make the broader culture, make the super culture, the dominant culture, regard these people who are different as ill or afflicted or less than inferior, right? This is – it is dehumanization. It's a systematic campaign of dehumanization. And so when we read a passage like this, and you you nailed it, we never want – the gospel is going to be alienating enough to your natural man without us then coming mm-hmm. at with all this exactly. – whatever, whatever supremacy – in this case, we're focusing on white supremacy, but supremacy of any kind – the only supremacy the church should be about is Christ's supremacy, his word's supremacy, the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ, supremacy of the Father, the supremacy of the Holy Ghost. So what we see then, I mean, to kind of quickly connect this to what you were saying about communities of color and sort of people naturally sorting, if you do want integration in a godly way, and I, I think we all do and we all should, the only hope for integration, just like the only hope for uh, dignity of these disparate peoples is by having a greater identity, a true identity, which is being in Christ. Mm-hmm. What you see at, at the Tower of Babel and the scattering of the nations, what you see in Adam being kicked out of what was his promised garden, right? Mm-hmm. Picture of promised land going forward all the rest of the way through the Bible. What you see there is a picture of division, a, spe- a picture of scattering, right? Of, of them being thrown out and thrown aside and separated. In this case, separated from God in the in the context of the garden, but also the Tower of Babel separated from one another, the confusing of the languages. The only hope for the reuniting of that is in the gospel. That's why when we get to Revelation, we see a restored garden. We see garden imagery. And what do we see? We see 
an innumerable host from every tongue, tribe, kindred, and nation. That is the undoing of Babel, right? Yeah. And it was because we it's done by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It's not us trying to erect a false tower of unity. So it's very – while we want to affirm biblical diversity, and I think we'll be doing that a little bit, we also want to affirm biblical unity. So we're divided in Adam. We're united in Christ, right, the fallen Adam. Uh, but there is even unity pre-fall in Adam because he's human, right? And so the commonality that we all have, the universality of our identity is for everyone, that would be including non-believers, our humanity, our Adamic identity. Mm-hmm. The, the bad news is, is that doesn't get us reconciliation with God or one another. So if – but prim, from first look, right, prima facie – which is a Latin expression I use too much on the radio. Sorry, everyone. But I love all y'all guys. But <laughs> but rewinding a bit, how can you regard this person as your brother if you're focused on these differences that literally God created and gave to them? Again, not thinking about things that are unhealthy. You can't. Mm-hmm. And you've if you privilege your own appearance or your own group, then you've you've made an idol of that appearance or of that group. So you're then breaking the second commandment again. Mm-hmm. So you can have an ethnic or a racial idolatry. Race is not my favorite word, but I know we use it a lot in the culture. Yeah. You you have to repent of that. You have to turn from that. And I think when whitewashing is deliberate, and we can argue about how deliberate it's been and sure. all that, but when it's deliberate, then you're literally making an idol of white culture, white identity, white image. That's what you're doing mm-hmm. because you're saying this is what's universal. You're universalizing this, whereas mm-hmm. what I talked about is we, we need to universalize – excuse me. It's hard to say fast – Adamic identity and Christian identity. Now, don't get confused. There is a horrible cult by the name of Christian identity. But our identity mm-hmm. in Christ, that's what we need to focus on. Amen. So we are kind of unpacking this idea of whitewashed Christianity as – kind of outlined by the Urban Apologetics book written by Dr. Eric Mason. And we're kind of couching it in the context of uh, the second commandment, images of God, which we should not be making. The ninth commandment, which uh, is bearing false witness, and we don't want to bear false witness about who God is. And this idea that we want to reach our neighbor and not present any stumbling blocks for them as as we seek to bring them to Christ. So uh, we will be back right after these short messages. The mission of Apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to apologetics.com and click donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting apologetics.com. This is John MacArthur. Please join me for today's Portraits of Grace. 
When you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you became a new creation and your life began to center on Him rather than yourself. The Holy Spirit began to transform your attitudes and your actions. As a result, you started pursuing God's glory instead of worldly pleasures. But I must admonish you, just as Paul did to the Corinthians, test yourselves to see if you're really in the faith. Examine yourselves. Don't ever be deluded about your relationship with Christ. Did those changes really take place? Do you now have a living hope? Are you fixed on a glorious eternal inheritance? Has your life changed? Be sure your faith is real. That's the most important issue of all. This is John MacArthur encouraging you to live as portraits of grace. You might be surprised to know that Jesus never used the word grace. Hello, I'm Chuck Swindoll. Jesus certainly never used the word grace as a sermon title or wrote an essay about it. He just lived it. And actually, the Bible never gives us a definition of grace, though it's full of it. Scene after scene in the scriptures illustrates grace. Grace goes back to an old Hebrew term that means to bend or stoop. Perhaps the best way to describe grace is with the idea of condescending favor. Condescending, bending down. God did that. He bent down to bestow grace. How I love that word. Pastor and teacher Chuck Swindoll. Visit Insight for Living's website at insight.org. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the second half of the Apologetics.com radio show. My name is Jason Gallagher, and we are challenging believers to think and thinkers to believe. And we are discussing uh, whitewashing Christianity as kind of couched by Dr. Eric Mason's book, Urban Apologetics. We've been kind of walking through that book. As of late, we went through chapter one a few shows back, and we are going through chapter two now, which is All White Everything, written by Pastor Jerome Gay. And the first half of the show, we kind of unpacked some of the foundational issues here, and which include the second commandment, right, that we shouldn't be making images of God in the first place. That's one of the big contentions uh, this white Jesus that uh, is a stumbling block to a lot of people of color. We talked about that, and the fact is we shouldn't be making images in the first place um, because it is a stumbling block and it's also a, a sin against God. And so that's kind of where we're at. And we wanted to dig into the book itself, some of the context, some of the arguments, some of the things that they mention as they kind of uh, unpack what they mean by all white everything. Uh, before we do that, we will throw out the the telephone number again. If you want to call in, we'd love to chat with you. If, you. if you have any thoughts on this idea of all white everything, is that true? You know, a, a question I threw out in the first half of the show is, do you believe Jesus was a white man surrounded by 12 white disciples? Um, and if you do, that might be an indicator that you have been influenced um, by some cultural images Right, some ideas, because um, you know, likely, you know, being from that part of the country or the world, 
um, you know, all white men probably wasn't, you know, what it looked like around the last supper, the dinner table. You know, there's probably a, a fair variety, you know, in those men and those people that were uh, surrounding Jesus. And so that's just something that we should be, you know, we want to get things right. We want to accurately reflect, you know, what is true. We don't want to bear false witness. You know, that's another aspect of this. So if you want to give us a call, please chime in, 888-995-KKLA. That's 888-995-5552. So as we get into this book, Daniel, one of the first things they do is define the term whitewashing. And, you know, if you just look at uh, the dictionary definition um, it's you know pretty straightforward. The Cambridge Dictionary defines whitewashing as an attempt to stop people from finding out the true facts about a situation. So it's kind of turned into this like very broad, generic idea or term, right? So any attempt to prevent people from finding out the truth is now labeled whitewashing, right? Which is ironically kind of a derogatory. <laughs> you know, way of framing it, right? Um, perhaps maybe that's even a, a racist definition, some might argue. Um, but in any case, we're not going to get into that. Um, it's an attempt to basically hide the facts in order to control a narrative, right? And and the authors of this book would argue that uh, white men wanted to hide the fact of color in the scriptures and in church history in order to present a white man as, you know, superior or, you know, just in order to present, you know, Christ as white versus, uh, you know, a darker skinned person. So an example of whitewashing is the use of white people to represent people of color in film and history, right? Um, you know, one might think of Charl Charlton Heston, right, in the Ten Commandments movie. Um, you might think of children's books, which wrongly, you know, put Jesus in in these books, and it's always a white Jesus, right? Um, you know, these have a mental and um, you know, kind of subconscious impact on people over time. And so that these are some of the examples that the these authors would use to kind of to show an example of some of what the whitewashing looks like um, in film, in history, and how it kind of comes at us um, in a large variety of ways. And there is really, they would argue, a void of any ethnic diversity, right? Um, and, you know, they see that as a significant problem. And what are your thoughts on that, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, I think this actually interestingly connects with something you said in segment one, which is this idea of there might be a scenario or a case in which this was, you know, the natural man. You sort of make God into your own image, which we already have discussed as wrong. Uh, so you're sort of make Jesus look like you, these sorts of things. I mean – extremely famously, infamously, notoriously would be the Sistine Chapel, a white so-called God 
extending a finger towards a white so-called Adam in the mm-hmm. creation. Um, and this kind of highlights that whoever's doing it, whether they're white or black or whatever they may be, male, ma- man, woman, you know, it's a, every image is a lying image. And related to that, as you were throwing to the commercial and, and in your intro, you were talking about the ninth commandment and mm-hmm. not bearing false witness. And related to that, in Proverbs 14.25, we read, A true witness delivereth souls, but a deceitful witness speaketh lies. And so what mm. we see here is we see a lying witness. We see a lying witness of images of a cultural hegemony, which is – or hegemony, depending on who you talk to, which is just like a, a, a system of cultural dominance and supremacy. We see that develop. Whether you think that was there from the beginning or not, that could maybe be an interesting argument to have. But this thing, this this monster, this leviathan sort of arises wherein everything gets whitewashed, right? That's the whole all-white everything. Mm-hmm. It starts with – biblical characters then it's all the early church fathers then it's it's just it's this you know seemingly unstoppable force from this perspective mm-hmm. and then what you get is you you get people who feel as as we talked about alienated entirely from the faith from christendom mm-hmm. like oh this is a white man's religion and this is still used polemically in attacks against the christian faith right. this is a very old charge i think people think it's relatively contemporaneous with the nation of Islam predates it by a lot, right? It's this whole idea of you're trying to put this oppressor group's beliefs on me and that's going to oppress me. But one of the things that um, the Reverend Gay, that Pastor Gay has said that was so impressive to me is that even the even the least educated formerly slave who was a Christian could differentiate between the inferiority that the slave master was trying to beat into him mm. and his dignity that he received from being imago day and being restored being restored evermore unto the image of Jesus Christ so even these people who you know were looked on as stupid and ignorant and uneducated because they weren't allowed to be uneducated they were not taken in they were not fooled by this project yeah. of whitewashing the faith that they had. Now, obviously, not all slaves were Christians, tragically, but right. this is this that's a counter not only to white man's religion, but also at the same time the slave master's religion or the oppressor's religion. Mm-hmm. And why we have to ask ourselves in the church, particularly those of us who are not familiar with these communities or not from these communities of color, why is that still so powerful? Mm-hmm. And what I was said hopefully was clear in segment one, it's because this is ongoing. So the trauma is being – you're being re-traumatized by right. these right, false right. depictions. Yeah. Yeah, for you know the, the children, Bibles and stuff that are out there today being published are still being published with a white Jesus, right? Uh, this cartoon character, white-looking Jesus and white disciples. Um, you know, if that's not true – you know, we shouldn't be doing that, you know, period. Um but one one thing I appreciate about Jerome Gay and just listening to him talk, you know, reading reading this particular chapter and listening to him talk about this issue as a pastor, right? He shepherds, you know, he shepherds Christians. He says, you know, the answer to whitewashing is not white bashing, right? He he doesn't hate white people in any way, right? This idea, just because you're um, just because you're identifying a problem. 
and and the problem is this whitewashing. It doesn't mean white people are the enemy, like that you need to bash the white person. Like that's not his position at all. He also says the answer to whitewashing is also not blackwashing, right? It's not to try and paint everything black because that too would be the exact same problem just flipped, right? It would be a lie. It would be a violation of the second commandment, creating images of God uh, that are black and so on and so forth. So the answer is really understanding and presenting that which is true, right? That should be our goal always. Um, and so, you know, we just want to keep that at the forefront. Like we're not, this book isn't saying, you know, white people are bad. They're the enemy. You know, this has happened historically. It's here. It's, we're living in it. And what should we do now that we find ourselves here? You know, that's kind of the question. Um, yeah. Pretending like the problem didn't happen and that some aspects of the problem are ongoing, even worse, is nowhere. That's not getting us anywhere closer to a solution. I would argue it's driving us mm -hmm. further and further away from a solution. Mm -hmm. So this is, you know, this is this grid that we've already alluded to of acknowledging and correcting. Yeah. Right? So agno biblically acknowledging, correcting and confronting. Uh, and I would say that, you know, we talked about this in preparing for tonight. That corresponds pretty well to confessing and repenting and mm -hmm. bearing fruits worthy of amendment of life and worthy of repentance. Yeah. Amen. And so, you know, for some people out there who might be hearing this, you might be thinking, well, what's the big deal? You know, I don't mind my white Jesus. I don't mind having that picture of white Jesus around the you know last supper dinner table with a bunch of white disciples. You know, we live in America. You know, what's the problem? Why must we confront this, right? And I'll say, you know, part of I think what this uh, what this book gets at, and I think we should we should think about is you know whitewashing ultimately it distorts Christianity, right? It distorts the truth, it, and it distorts the gospel, right? And so anything that has been created by man that causes people to misunderstand Christianity or to misunderstand the character and nature of God, or to misunderstand the gospel, should concern us as Christians, as those who want to seek and to save the lost, right? Of those who want to disciple the nations, right? And teach them to obey all things that God has commanded, right? It should concern us, right? And secondly to that, you know, the, the gospel, the character of God, understanding, you know, Christianity is this other aspect of this problem where you have racial identity cults, Hebrew Israelites, Nation of Islam, Kemeticism, you know, maybe more you can think of, Daniel. Um, these racial identity cults have come in and said, yeah, this white man's religion's bad, but this is what the Bible really says, and it you know, it says that you are oppressed and, you know, you are God's chosen people and God is going to redeem you. And it gives kind of – it kind of capitalizes on this real place of vulnerability and it allows these cults to manipulate these people with false teachings and to basically get them on a trajectory 
that's going away from the true gospel, away from the true God, away from the Bible, right? And is on a trajectory leaded, you know, towards destruction. And so that should concern us, right? And uh, this is why it must be confronted, right? I'm not trying to, you know, make make a mountain out of a molehill by any means, uh, but it is a it is an issue, and it is something I think Christians, you know, should be concerned with and think about and try to correct slash confront. And what you see in with various non-white religious again white it's not my favorite word but you get what i'm saying non-white religious identity cults uh is that generally the mode of attack is one or the other you highlighted the substitution right no it's actually us we're the chosen people god looks like us etc 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 so sort of just replicating this error I, i believe as you said earlier in reverse and then the other primary thing that they do is they use these as defeaters as disproofs of christianity well, Christianity can't be real. This can't be the true faith. This can't be the real God because of – and then this litany of ethnic sins and crimes. And while that's not a good argument because it's not true, God is not responsible for those things, you can see how with these distortions of the Bible, the gospel, the church, identity, anthropology, just the study of man mm-hmm. – those immediately become almost – it almost seems like they spring immediately into his hands as tools, tools of the devil to drive division, to drive wedges and to lead people to destruction as you rightly said, as you so well said. And so it's not only that the church has an image problem and needs to – pun intended – and needs to fix mm-hmm. it, but also that this is going to imperil and has imperiled and has been used for the damnation of souls. Right. God forbid. But I mean, I think I, I would not be surprised. I hope I'm wrong. I hope all those people later repented. But we've seen people apostatize. We've seen people walk away from the faith for these reasons. And we may find right. those flimsy or we might find find them illogical or not compelling or whatever. We might have our own feelings about that. Mm-hmm. But they were sufficient enough for that person to say, I can't be a Christian right. or I can no longer go to church. Um, I that mean, should concern us. Yeah. yeah, of course. I mean, I know of uh, someone who was who fell in with black Hebrew Israelites, and I'm praying that she's no longer in with them. But I know of someone through a friend um, because they taught flat Earth. I mean, it can be something like that. Yeah. Oh, well, flat Earth yeah. is real. These guys teach, teach flat flat Earth, so they must be right about the Bible and Christianity. Right. Yeah, yeah. Now you may say, "Well, I would never believe in flat Earth," but. It doesn't matter it, it, as long as there's a soul at stake, a soul yep. at risk, right? Yep. We need to be able to combat these errors. Um, yep. And one of the errors, one of the distortions that you see is that if if whitewashing were to be true, then that would mean that only white people were used of God in this powerful way. Only white right. people were raised up as talented teachers and evangelists and missionaries. Yeah. And that is, one, utterly reprehensible. I mean it's vile. It's disgusting. But two, how damaging is that to you? Because again, you have no representation. You have no idea of, well, my people are into this. And so again, it alienizes. Right, right. I don't know if I just made that up. But it makes alien the faith. <laughs> it, it, it makes it foreign right. and strange. When it's not, uh, we see the universality of the gospel everywhere. Uh-huh. Not only, I mean, if you don't want to say the gospels in creation, that, that's another interesting conversation. But we see universality in creation, of course, but we see it in redemption. You know, mm-hmm. it's not 
for God so loved the particular people groups. It's yep. for God so loved the world. Yeah. And we already talked about in Revelation yep. what it looks like in heaven. And here, here's a quote from the book which ties into this whole idea. Um, it says, in order to accurately present the gospel and the Christian faith, we must understand that Christianity is not the cultural property of any single racial or ethnic group. Rather, it has always existed as a family of chosen people composed of every nation, tribe, and tongue. Because many non-Western people groups have been made to feel culturally alienated, just like you just said, from the gospel, it is imperative that we explore the neglected history of non-Western Christianity. We must confront whitewashing. And so that kind of ties in perfectly to what you were just saying and kind of what we've been saying that, you know, the gospel doesn't belong just to a single ethnicity or people group or culture. It belongs to the whole world, right, to every nation, every tribe, every tongue. You know, that's what makes it beautiful, you know. Yeah. Um, our God is beautiful. And whitewashing – so another aspect is you know, whitewashing is dishonest. We kind of talked about this. It's a Ninth Commandment violation, right? It just presents a, a false view of of who God is and who God has used, you know, throughout history to to bring his gospel to the nations, to to redeem his elect, right? And that dishonesty uh, really quickly connects to uh so called bastions of orthodoxy and scholarship that refuse to combat whitewashing. Mm -hmm. So you lose credibility as an institution for no good reason, simply be because you say, Oh, we don't have a dog in this fight or right. this is not for us. Right. Yeah, you know, and I, I probably would have found myself there, you know, not long ago, like, oh, what's the big deal, you know? But then you start to see, like like you said, it's it's actually souls are at stake and souls are being, you know, led astray, you know, because some of this, because some of this stuff is so ingrained in just the cultural mindset. Um, you know, one thing the book touches on is whitewashing is deliberate. You know, I don't – I didn't think this was the strongest part of the book where they make the argument for deliberate whitewashing. You know, were they just – you know, what was their motives? It's hard to say. I don't know for sure. But one thing, you know, you mentioned earlier, Daniel, was, you know, whether it was deliberate or not, you know, it was done. And it's continuing, right, today. Maybe just because that's just the way it's always been, you know, it's just what what people are used to. Um, and, you know, me in particular, you know, one, one person they talk to a lot is Athanasius, you know, and this idea that Athanasius was this definitely like this black African descent man, right? And when I studied Athanasius, I was, you know, studying the Nicene Creed, studying that time in history trying to see what the church did to combat, you know, Arianism and what Athanasius did was amazing, you know, just stood firm, was bold. The Nicene Creed came out of that kind of just clearly defining, you know, the the person of Christ, you know, who he is. I didn't care about his skin color. It did not matter one bit to me, you know. I cared about what he taught and what he said, right? And that's you know that's that's primarily what matters right we should be concerned whether regardless of someone's skin color if if they're if they're black and they're speaking the truth 
Amen. Right? If they're white and speaking the truth, amen. Because that's what matters. Right? Their skin color is completely secondary, you know, whether, you know, to what's being taught. Yeah, and I think that's another way of getting at the primary the primary, the primacy, the primary. But what's primary in identity is the Christianity, right? So mm-hmm. we we don't we don't have this high regard for Athanasius because he's African, but because but because he was such a blessing to the church Amen. as a Christian teacher. Yeah. Now, part of his being a blessing to the Christian church mm-hmm. is that he was African. Mm-hmm. So we can't pull it all the way out. Yeah. Right. And that's the whole. Yeah recontextualizing and we want to acknowledge and we want to praise God for gifts that he gives us no matter their source, mm-hmm. right? If a beggar gives you the gospel, what does it matter if he's a beggar? And I'm not mm-hmm. equivocating between other groups and beggars. I'm saying right. think of the lowliest source that you might think of. If if you're given the gospel by that person or you're given sound teaching, you're going to be very grateful and you're going to praise God. And it may uh, – incline your heart towards a people that you didn't really have regard for. So we miss out on opportunities to value our African brothers and yeah. sisters when we don't know who comes from there, right? Or yeah, when it's when it's been whitewashed yeah. away. And yeah. one thing that Pastor Gay did, said that was very convicting, and this is my kind of paraphrase, mm-hmm. is he talks about when how how can we fail to acknowledge and correct something that has indisputably harmed black people and hindered the gospel among them, humanly speaking, and still claim we are loving, right? Mm -hmm. It just doesn't – sorry, that's wordy. That's because I wrote it. (laughs) It's a bad paraphrase. But, uh, you know, these things are are heartbreaking or they should be. And so if they are, then we want to seek their redress. We want to see them – we want to see wounds healed. We want to see these Mm -hmm. wrongs righted. And we we do that out of love, not only out of love for God, which is what we focused on in focusing on the second commandment and even the first commandment, right? Imputing a race to God, blasphemy, mm-hmm. making a new God that you've racialized, blasphemy. Yeah. Right? But then also in the ninth commandment in our love to one another, in being honest and representing God faithfully, and then that goes back to the third commandment, which mm-hmm. we can't take his name in vain. So we can probably figure out if we spend enough time on this that this actually breaches all ten. Sure. But it's just to say that we must be intentional about reversing this. Mm-hmm. And yeah. as, and to reiterate what you said that was so good when you uh, quoted or paraphrased – I can't recall Pastor Gay – is it's not about replicating the wrong against a different group. Mm-hmm. Or about, you know, pretending it never happened and sweeping it under the rug, mm-hmm. and nor is it about uh, seeking vengeance because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, mm-hmm. and He will, I will repay. So He will repay. He will take vengeance. Um, but it is for us to seek justice mm-hmm. and to seek righteousness and the righting of these wrongs in a real way, right? A real repentance, mm-hmm. a real belief, a real faith a real confession, a real bearing of fruit of worthy of repentance and of, and of amendment of life. Amen. Yeah. You know, one, one thing, you know, as we bring this to a close, we're in the last, you know, minute or so here is, you know, how committed are we to the truth, right? As Christians are, you know, 
we want to be committed to the truth and you know maybe are we willing to rewrite history right when the truth is that much of christian history does involve people of color you know white black everything in between do we you know are we willing to kind of go back and correct those things you know so we can give that value and that dignity where it's due so we can look at all these different beautiful tapestry of you know god's image bearers and say wow look how god has used all of these different types of people from different places you know and backgrounds and cultures and and appearances and you know use them for his glory to reach his elect um and so hopefully you've uh you've enjoyed this show you've learned a little bit about this idea of whitewashed christianity you know we encourage you if you want to get in touch with us you could email me at jason at apologetics.com we'd be love to dialogue with you further about this topic or any other apologetic topic related to the christian faith Um, For Apologetics.com, this is Jason Gallagher saying keep the faith.